We've been talking about what do you see? And in the last two weeks specifically, we've been talking about slaying the giants in your life so that God can take you to the next level of glory, so that his glory can shine through our lives. Now, we noticed last week that this happens through the process of transformation. Amen? God is transforming us from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. And often we don't even realize it, it, that it's happening. Amen? Sometimes it happens more when we don't realize it than when we're aware of it. Why? Because how many of you know you cannot transform yourself? It's God working in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. And we looked at that last week from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. But here's what you need to understand. The working out of that, of that in our lives on a daily basis means this. There cannot be meaningful impact in this world we live if there's not first change. And if you don't cooperate with God in changing you, then there can be no meaningful transformation. Can you say amen? So look at the person next to you and say, it's you that God's waiting for. Now last week we saw in the story of the, of the crippled man, do you remember that? He was crippled, he was sitting down, and because of life and circumstances and, and the things that have happened in his life, he was crippled, he was sitting, he was unable to move forward. And I want to say to you today, God does not want you and I sitting down. Amen. He wants us up. He wants us moving forward. And he wants us being his hands and his feet wherever we go. And so we started looking at what were the components that were present at this miracle transformation that caused a crippled man to leap. The Bible says he leaped and he walked. And so we studied it last week. We're not going to turn there again. But we noticed this. Number one, there was a man of God. There was someone preaching the word. The Bible says Paul was there preaching the gospel, and it says he saw that the man had faith to be healed. So we know there was a man, there was someone there preaching the gospel. Number two, we know that the anointing or the power of God was present to heal the man. All right, so number two, the Holy Spirit was present. And number three, faith was there, and faith was moved into action when Paul perceived that the man had faith. And he said to the man, stand on your feet and walk. Look at the person next to you and say, stand. stand. Okay, not right now. Okay, that would be really awkward if you're the only one who stands up. All right, so what does that tell me? It tells me this. Firstly, notice it says, faith, uh, Paul saw the man had faith. Well, how did he see? What was it that he saw? Did the man start blinking his eyes? Did, did the man start frothing at the mouth? What, what made Paul see? Well, the original translation says Paul perceived. So he didn't see in the natural. He saw through the natural into the spiritual. And he said, man, this man has caught the message. This man has got the gospel. This man has got the faith. And when he saw he had the faith, what did he say? Stand. And so this transformation took place because this man was able to be activated and therefore transformed. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, our text scripture. It says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror 
the glory of the Lord, that's the word of God, when we look into the word of God and we see Jesus reflected back at us, what does it do? We are being transformed. I love that it says you're being transformed. It's a process. Can you say amen? It doesn't happen immediately. I want you to know, and I'm not like so proud of this, but it, but it bears out the point There are a lot of things that took a long time for me to get transformed in. So just look at the person next to you. Say, don't be discouraged. I am a work in progress. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Say, from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The word transformed here is a beautiful word. It simply means to be changed into the same image. It means to be transformed or to be turned into another form. God wants to turn you into another form that looks like Him. That looks more like Him. Can you say Amen? And the clearest expression of this transformation is actually Jesus. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? He had taken John and Peter and James up to the mountain. And in that moment, it says he was transfigured. He was transformed into the literal image of Almighty God. It actually says this, that he began to shine with the resplendent brightness of God's divinity. Don't you love that word resplendent? Just put your hand and pretend I know, because all of you are going like, what does it mean? Well, I'm your pastor, let me teach you. (laughs) The word resplendent, it's a lovely word, it means this. Attractive and impressive. Through being richly colorful and sumptuous. Listen, God wants to turn you more into Christ, so you become richly colorful and sumptuous. Oh, man. Look at the person next to you say, man, you look sumptuous. <laughs> All right, I know. Firstly, if you're married, make sure it's your wife or husband you're speaking to. Secondly, if you're sit, sitting next to a guy, I know, awkward. <laughs> if you're next to a guy, just say to yourself, I, I'm pretty sumptuous myself. All right, let's turn to the story. Matthew 17, verses 2. And he was transfigured before them. Listen to this. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. I mean, imagine being there. Jesus was already awesome. But in this moment, listen, he started to transfigure or transform into his divinity. Into who he really is in the spirit. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the bright morning star, the god of all creation. And it was an awesome moment. And I tell you what, suddenly at the same time, Moses appears. Elijah appears. And him and Jesus start having a conversation. Moses turned to Jesus and said, hey bro, you're shining. No, he did. He was from the south. Moses was from the south. (laughs) 
I would have said Machai. Okay, maybe it was from the north. All right, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. How many of you know when we get into a moment of revival or a moment where God's, how many of you know we want to just stay there? It's like, let's build a tent. And God's like, no, no, we're not building a tent. I'm going to transform you so that you can go and become who you need to be to your neighbor, to your family, to your business, to your marriage, to your children. God doesn't want you sitting down. He wants you moving forward in his glory. So look what he says. Let's build a tent. While he was still speaking, God interrupts him. He says, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right now, remember those words. They're the same words that were spoken at the waters of baptism where John baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit came down. Do you remember that? But notice something different. God adds three little words to the end of it. He says, this is my... How many? Yeah, I'm glad you guys are listening. Checking your oaks out. All right, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. What does that mean? Well, firstly, let's have a look at it. What does Moses represent? He represents the law. The old covenant law. What does Elijah represent? Elijah represents the prophets of the old covenant. So Peter's there, he says, come on, let's all worship together. God interrupts him and says, no, hear him. Hear who? Hear Jesus. Why? Because the old covenant is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and he is the fulfillment of the prophets of the Old Testament because all of them pointed to Jesus. Now that is very significant. Why? Because it tells me the kingdom has shifted. It's no longer an outward kingdom. It's an internal kingdom. God works in you so that you can walk it out of you. In the Old Covenant, you had to walk it out so that it could be within. So the Bible says he was transfigured. And this is a word in the Greek that has two root words. The first word is meta. And the word meta means to be in the proximity of, so as to be influenced. It speaks of intimacy. When Jesus got to where God wanted him to be, There was an intimacy that started to meta him. It influenced him. It speaks of when you and I start to see Jesus and the Holy Spirit reveals him from the pages of Scripture as we are reading, as we're having our devotional, as we're praying in the Spirit, as we worship worship together in the church. Jesus is made real. We give him the place he deserves. And guess what? Because we're in the proximity, because we're under his influence, he can transform us. And those things that held us back, that hurt us, that wounded us, he's able to transform them into healing, restoration, and strength. Look at the person next to you. God is fixing to do something great. 
Alright, the word morphu is the word we get our English word transformation. It's actually the word metaphoru, and it means to be transformed, and it means this to fashion or mold into a new form. But if the root word is discovered properly, it actually says this, a person who strikes something and it becomes a vision. In other words, when you get into the influence of God, and his glory is influencing your heart, it morphs you into the person you need to be, and it cracks open God's vision and purpose for your life. Now suddenly, your life is transformed because you're no longer just living, you're living on purpose. Can you say amen? So God's transformation happens by you walking in a fresh revelation or a new revelation or a progressive revelation of who Jesus is. Here's the thing. It normally always involves a wilderness. How many of you love the wilderness? (laughs) None of us. Why? Because the wilderness is hot. It's uncomfortable. There's not a lot of water. So what does that speak about? Symbolically or prophetically, it speaks about you having to rely on God and not yourself. You see, we all encounter seasons of wilderness in our lives because it's part of God's process for developing our spiritual life. Listen, but it's never God's intention that you live there. Hello? Listen, even Jesus went into the wilderness. Luke 4 verse 1 in the Amplified, it says, Now Jesus, full of and in perfect communication with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, the wilderness, and was, sorry, from Jordan, being baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Sorry, excuse me? Sorry, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. It was intentional. Because you see, it's in the wilderness that God does His best work in your life. It's in the wilderness that God prepares you for your victory. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So you don't just wander into a wilderness. It's by design or intention for a time of separation. So God can prune you. And prepare you. Look at the person next to you. Say, God is preparing me. So I might not look like it, but God is still busy. Here's the problem. Often, while we're in the wilderness, we don't recognize we're in the wilderness. How you know? It takes us a while sometimes. Because what is the wilderness? Listen, the wilderness is any time you're between where you were and where you're going. Can anyone relate? You're here, but you're not comfortable here. You know you need to go there, but you're not there, and you don't know how to get there, and you're kind of here, and you're there, and you're in between. And there's this conflict going on in the inside. You know it can't stay the same, but you know it's got to be new, but your new is uncomfortable, and how are we going to get there, and who's going to pay for it, and who's going to be there? You're in the wilderness. Now, here's the thing. As a church... Maybe you haven't discovered this yet, but we're in a wilderness. 
Because God's taken us into the new season, but we don't yet know what the new season is going to produce. The children of Israel crossed the Jordan, and they were standing in the promised land, but how many know Jericho was in front of them? God hadn't given them Jericho. God hadn't conquered the giants yet, but they were standing in the promised land. Say, I'm in the promised land. But I'm in the wilderness. Because God is preparing you. God is pruning you. God is getting you ready. Are you ready this morning? The wilderness is different to a circumstance, to a trial, or to an attack. Please hear me today. I know when we go through a circumstance, we kind of say, I'm in a wilderness. No, well, not necessarily. You might just be in a circumstance. Sometimes when we go through an attack, we're like, we're in wilderness. No, no, the enemy is attacking you. And here's the significant thing. The enemy will always attack you in the wilderness because he knows God's getting ready to fix you, to bless you, and to take you to another level. We'll see that in a moment. So wilderness is different to a trial or circumstance or attack. You may have it happening simultaneously, but I want you to know the wilderness is specific because it's a time of transition from one thing to another thing necessitated by the need for change or growth because God has a specific purpose for your life. So listen. None of us like the wilderness. The wilderness isn't comfortable. But I want you to know the wilderness is amazing. Because you know what? The cloud shows up in the wilderness. The pillar of fire shows up in the wilderness. Your Red Sea gets opened in the wilderness. Hallelujah. So you and I as believers, we never have to be scared of the wilderness because it's a sure sign that God is getting ready to bless you, to prosper you, to take you to the next level. Listen, not so that you and I can say, oh, look, I'm at the next level. No. So God can use what he's done to build his kingdom, to make a difference in this world. Church, you are a history maker. You are a change agent. Can you say amen? You have a purpose for your life. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, shout if you love Jesus this morning. So your wilderness isn't great because your comfort is disturbed. Inwardly, there's a conflict. You feel unsettled because, you know, how many of you can relate? It's like, I'm living here and I'm doing what I need to do, but I don't want to be here, I want to be there. But if I'm there, how am I going to do that? And there's this uncertainty and this unsettled. Not an ungodly unsettledness, there's still a peace, there's still a provision. But you just know, God is messing with your comfort. And you thought it was Eskim. Sorry, I'll take that back. <laughs> the wilderness is a place where self-reliance is broken. The wilderness is a place where you discover that your best effort, your great extra work, every bit of ounce of everything you do comes to nothing because it's God who gives you success. It's God who gives you favor. It's God who raises one up and brings one down. Can you say amen? And so... So it's in the place of the wilderness that you learn to trust God and you begin to experience that he's your father, that he loves you and that he's got a plan for you. 
So there's this dichotomy of things happening because it's in the wilderness while he's breaking, while he's dismantling the things in your life that you hold on to and that you count dear, that he starts to show you that he is better, he is bigger, he's got greater things in store for you, and he begins to unlock your vision. Do you remember the woman with a broken alabaster box? She came and she broke it and she anointed Jesus. It's a picture when God breaks us, his anointing starts to flow out of us. Because we're not trusting ourselves, we're trusting Jesus. We're trusting God. Can you say amen? And I want you to know, it's scary. Just, just look at the person and say, it's scary. It's scary. 2 Peter 1 verse 2 to 5, look what it says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How's grace and peace multiplied? As you get to know Jesus. As you get familiar with God. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given exceeding great. Say exceeding. Great and precious promises. Wow. God has exceeding great and precious promises for you and I. Why? So that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But for this very reason, give diligence to add to your faith. Say add. You see, God wants to add things to your life. But to add things to your life that are from Him, He's got to take things away that are from you. (laughs) And that's what happens in the wilderness. And it's a bit different for all of us. Think about it. Israel was led into the wilderness. They came out of bondage into the wilderness. I like what Ben says. God delivered them from Israel, but now he needed to take... Sorry, God delivered them from Egypt, but now he had to take Egypt out of them. And so he takes them into the wilderness. And he deliberately doesn't take them the short route. Because he says, if I take them the short route, they're going to come to a place, they're going to see warfare, and they're going to get scared, and they're going to run away because they've never faced battle. So God understood I needed to prepare them so they're ready for the promised land. But here's the thing. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their own rebellion, because they wanted to do it in their own strength. Jesus also went into a wilderness, and the Bible says he came out with power and anointing, and he launched his ministry. So which would you rather be? Let's go with Jesus. Let's come out of that wilderness with power and victory, and let's not spend the next 40 years wondering. You've got to stop wondering and start believing. Amen? Wondering if God's going to do it. Wondering if God will come through for you. Wondering how it's going to work out. Stop wondering. Start believing. God will bring you through. God will work it out. God will lead you by His Spirit. Amen? So Jesus goes into the wilderness and He comes out with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at Luke 4, verse 14 and 15. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And the news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by everyone. You see, the wilderness might not be comfortable, but it's where we meet Jesus. 
It's where we meet our Savior. It's where we meet our God, who is more than enough. It's where intimacy comes into our lives and we learn to trust God with everything we have. And it's a beautiful place. And God brings us through that. It's a place that God deals with our hearts. Amen? He shows us the things in our lives that he wants to transform. But here's the thing. Listen, it's also in the wilderness that the devil comes to tempt you. Because listen, he realizes when you go into wilderness, he realizes God is about to bless you abundantly. God is about to anoint you. God is about to do something big in your life. And so he comes to try and distract. He comes to try and break down. He comes to try and get you to quit. Just look at the person next to you. Say, don't quit. Here's what happens if you quit. You get to do another lap around the mountain. And normally you quit just before your breakthrough. So the reality is you've got to not allow the enemy to convince you to hinder your progress. Do not let him distract you because his plan is to destroy you. He wants to destroy what God has put in your spirit. What God has put in your heart. That next business. That successful marriage. That, that next ministry you're going to start. That next thing you're going to do that's going to make a difference in your world. That's what he wants to stop. And you know what? He can't. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Look at the person next to you. Say, you have purpose. Here's the reality. Always remind yourself in the wilderness that your wilderness is the passage to the promised land. The wilderness is the passage to God's glory. The wilderness is the passage that's going to take you to the next thing God is going to do in your life. So let's have a look quickly. What did the Israelites do in the wilderness that kept them there 40 years? All right, and you can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because Paul wrote a whole chapter. He said, these things I've written as examples to you, so that you might not do the same things on whom the end of the ages have fallen. He's speaking to the church. All right, what did they do? Number one, they lusted after evil things. They were also always chasing the next thing. Always idol worshiper. Oh, let's do this. Let's do this in our own strength. Number two, they committed sexual immorality. Number three, they tempted Christ. In other words, they, they got caught up in unbelief. They didn't believe that God could do it. And number three, they constantly complained. I mean, maybe we can relate to some of the previous three, but I mean, we can all relate to number four. Complain, complain, complain. That's why we said, uh, we said to all our leaders this month and our intercessors, December is all about thankfulness. Every day, I'm going to give you the challenge, every day this month, somewhere in the day, just take a moment, put down what you're doing, and just sit where you are and say, Father... I just want to thank you. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that you are working in my life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? A thankful heart is a doorway into worship and into the blessings of God. So God will speak to you in the wilderness. Now, what did Jesus do in the wilderness? You know what Jesus did in the wilderness? He spoke the word. Satan came to him and said, why don't you do this? And what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. It is written. In other words, Jesus knew the word. He knew who his father was and he knew who he was. And so when Satan came to him, he said, get behind me, Satan. It is written. You will not tempt the Lord your God. And you know what? 
He was tempted in every point, yet without sin. He overcame in the wilderness, so we too can overcome in our wilderness. Can you say amen? By staying focused on Jesus. Number two, the second thing that Jesus did in, this, in the wilderness, he stayed full of the Spirit. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He allowed the Holy Spirit to minister to him and work in him. And so what happened when he came out the wilderness, he came out in the power of the anointing. Look at the person next to you. Say, I'm coming out. With power. So God is about to launch us. So let me just close today by giving you five things you, you need to remember to do when you're in the wilderness. Amen. These things will help us to stay strong in the wilderness. So here it is. Number one, they're very simple. Number one, hold on to your faith. Amen. Hold on to the vision God's given you. Hold on to your faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of the things not seen. In other words, you can't see it yet, but faith says you have it. Please say with me, say I'm holding on to my faith. Number two, the second one, keep looking to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 and 18, it says this, for the light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Calling those things that be not as though they are. Hallelujah. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Can I encourage you with this? It does not matter what you're going through this morning. When I say it doesn't matter, I'm not saying it's insignificant. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying you're not facing pain and stress and grief. I'm not belittling what you're going through. But I'm saying this. It doesn't matter what it is. God will bring something good out of it. If you hold on to your faith and you keep looking at Jesus. He'll turn it because he's faithful. Can you say amen? amen? Even if people have tried to hurt you and destroy you, and maybe some of them have succeeded, God is not finished yet. Amen. Just look at the person and say, God is not finished. Keep on moving on. Number three, keep saying what God says about you. Don't get sucked into saying, what the enemy sees and what the enemy wants you to look at. Keep saying what God says. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham held on to that. He kept saying what God said about him. In the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Keep saying what God says about you. I am righteous in God. I am highly favored. I am deeply loved. My God is working in me, therefore he's working for me. Amen. A weapon might be formed against me, but it will not prosper in the name of Jesus. And please hear me today. I know some of us in this place have faced horrible situations. Things don't always work out the way we thought they would. But you know what? If you don't let go of your faith, 
God will heal, God will deliver, God will bring you through. And God will turn that even into something that makes a difference. Can you say amen? Is that helping some of you? Okay, number four. Remember today, faith is bigger than you. All right? Unlike holding on to your faith, realize today, faith is way bigger than you are. In other words, look at this scripture. This scripture really ministers to me and helps me so much. I'll read it out of the Passion Translation. Hebrews 11.13, it says, These heroes all died, still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. Did you see that? They clung on to their faith, even though they died having not received the promise. (laughs) Why? Because they realized the faith, the promise was bigger than them. It's eternal. Amen? And if you don't get it here, you will get it there. And if you go there, the people that are here will be better off because you held on to your faith. But saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced them from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. Just look at the person next to you. Say, you belong to another realm. <laughs> some, for some of you, it's easy to believe that. But I'm just saying. <laughs> like Manny said to me yesterday, where are you from? Yeah, I'm from heaven. Don't worry about it. <laughs> God is using you and I to pave the way so that others can keep hearing the message of salvation and deliverance. Can you say amen? The vision is much bigger than you and I. The vision is for eternity. And so faith always sees generationally. You see, after we've gone home, if Jesus tarries, amen, and we go to the Lord, then how you know this church still needs to be standing, preaching the word, sending out the message of Christ, feeding the poor, winning the lost, making a difference in our community. Faith is always bigger than you. It extends beyond you to those who are behind you. You know, if you're enjoying success right now, it means someone else paid the price. But here's the good news. If you're paying the price, it means someone behind you is going to enjoy the success. So let's do both. Can you say amen? Let's build with eternity in mind. See beyond your own life. See the promises of God of not just being fulfilled in you, but being fulfilled through you. And that will give you confidence to never quit. Just look at yourself and say, I'm not going to quit. Okay, number five, the final one. The Holy Spirit can and will make Jesus and his purpose in your life a reality. Amen? It's not your perfect work. It's not your great eloquence. It's not your incredible gift because all of it comes from God at the end of the day. But if you'll focus on Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, he will cause you to walk in victory. He will begin to fulfill his purpose in your life. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Can you say amen? God's purpose is being fulfilled.